the current world champion bobsled pilot for Team USA. She, um, her name is Kaylee Humphreys. Her husband and then her, they messaged me on Instagram. And I mean, the only reason I knew anything about bobsled was because I had met Blaine at Invictus previously. And then I kind of watched his journey with it, That, but that was it. Uh, I didn't even know what it would entail training for bobsled, none of it. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today I'm talking to Kelsey Keel, a longtime elite CrossFitter who recently made the switch to bobsledding. As she trains toward qualification for Team USA, Kelsey joins us to talk about how her training has shifted, decisions that changed the course of her athletic career, and how bobsledders train most of the year off the ice. It's a good look at managing performance and explosiveness and why we can never underestimate technique in any sport. We hope you enjoy. I do want to take a second to say that we're incredibly thankful you listened to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbed Podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us today. And the first question I have to ask is, you're, you're a multi-sport athlete at this point. So when people ask, you know, what you do or what your sport is, like, what do you say? What's the, the short answer? Oh, man, is there a short answer? Um, I feel like a lot of people know me as a CrossFit athlete. So I typically lead with ex-CrossFitter <laughs> um, and turn... <laughs> Team USA bobsled athlete. So that's kind of where I, I live. Kind of a, was a CrossFitter, now um, working to fight for my spot on the USA bobsled team. All right. Tell us a little bit about what we'll, we'll go in. We'll go in chronological order just to Perfect. make it easier, right? So let's go back in time. You discover CrossFit. When was that? How was that? Everyone's story is like a little bit different. Yeah. It's always a little interesting. Yeah. So I played soccer in college. So I've always been relatively like just active and I love team sports and that kind of thing. But um, CrossFit and nutrition and all that was nowhere on my radar in college. Um, I mean, thinking back to what I used to eat like during soccer, like it was just mind-blowing soccer like, players we've had a few soccer player former soccer players on yeah. this podcast and the like the diet stories for college soccer players are pretty uh, uh concerning <laughs> yeah just didn't know like had no just did not know anything so that's always kind of funny to think about but um I found CrossFit my sister actually took me to my first CrossFit class back in 2014 and I was so bad at it that I wanted to keep going back. It was kind of one of those, I feel like I see now that I've coached CrossFit and been in the world, I feel like you either have people who do their first class and never come back or they do their first class and they're like, okay, I need to come back and, and try not to be that bad at it anymore. And that was me. That was, I didn't want to be so bad for a while. It was just kind of like I would go three times a week and, use CrossFit as my form of exercise. Um, I didn't think about actually seriously pursuing CrossFit till probably the end of 2015. Um, 
I did a, a like a local small individual competition and I enjoyed it and I did pretty well. There was definitely it showed me some of my weaknesses as did the 2015 open. Those were those two kind of times that I was just like, okay, maybe I could, maybe I could make regionals. That was kind of the the goal was maybe I could be one of the local regional level athletes. Um, and I ended up switching gyms. I was going to a gym in Philadelphia and I went to a, started going to a gym just with a little bit of a higher caliber athlete out in um, just right over the bridge from Philadelphia and New Jersey. And I feel like as soon as I did that, it just started opening up these doors. And that's when I met um, Rachel Goldenberg, who owns CrossFit Parallax down in like Claremont, Ocean City, New Jersey area. And it just kind of took off. That was the first year. um, I mean, when it came to time for the 2016 open, it was Rachel's idea to try to put a team together. And my other friend Kelly and I were the other two, this was one that was teams of six. And we were just like, all right, let's give it a shot. (laughs) And it was probably the craziest eight months of my life. Um, It was back when CrossFit required you to be at the affiliate that you were representing, at least 50% of your training. Um, And I lived in Philadelphia and so did Kelly. So we would road trip down to about an hour, 15 minute drive every Friday and stay all weekend and train and come back and work our nine to five job. It was a little bit crazy, um, but we ended up qualifying for regionals and almost winning the Northeast regional. And we, I think we missed it by like four or six points. We got second. So, uh, this team of misfit rookies made it to the CrossFit games. That was such an interesting (laughs) time too, because they had, there was like a 50% rule. So it was like, you had to do at least half your workouts at the affiliate. So you had all these like rumors online of folks like sneaking workouts in their basement. It was like the weirdest. It was it was, it, the, was crazy. it was the weirdest thing. And like social media was such a powerful tool because everyone was like, oh. Selfie at self- practice. Yep. Selfie at practice. And then everyone was like, well, what if they're actually training extra at a different gym secretly? And it's like, what? Like, it was just such a weird like environment for conspiracy theories and location <laughs> tracking. And thinking back in my head, I was like, we were so nervous. Like we would make sure that we got there Friday night so that we could go to the gym and hit a piece and take a selfie and have the timestamp. And I'm thinking back, like there was no shot in hell CrossFit was going to come knocking on our door asking us, like no one knew who we were. <laughs> it was just kind of funny thinking back then. <laughs> well, it's also when you're training at that level, especially like 2016, that's not the early days of CrossFit, but when you're training at that level, you're doing like multiple sessions a day, multiple times a week. It's not like you're doing three workouts a week. It's not like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I work out. Right. Right. Yeah. That was also a factor was then we would hit like our individual pieces like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then we'd get there Friday and try to like cram in all this team training. And if one person couldn't make it, then we're like, throw our arms up. What do we do now that let's get our alternate in that we didn't have an alternate. We barely, but, um, that kind of thing. It was just, I mean, it was a roller coaster eight months and we went to the games and we've, I think we finished like 19th, nothing, nothing crazy. We had an event win, which was really cool. Um, we even beat mayhem in that event, which was like, yeah, that's, that's maybe like one of the best 
best ones on my roster there or on my resume. I was going to um, say that you, I know you all remember that, but I was like, I wonder if they do. And then I was thinking like Rich definitely remembers every time he's ever lost an event as a team. So like he also remembers. I'll, I'll talk to him about that. <laughs> remember in 2016, it was the sprint event, which was just like, no, which is kind of funny in my life right now, sprinting, but um it was just like, you weren't carrying anything, no worm, no nothing. It was just like, I had, we had football player and soccer players on the team. We were just like all out sprint. And um, then it came to the time when it was a worm sprint where you had to carry the worm as a team and sprint. And we got dead last. <laughs> so there you go. That was, yeah, that was our, our team for you. So at post 2016, tell us a little bit about your CrossFit career over the next, you know, three or four ish years after that. You were you, did you say team? Did you go individual? Like give folks a little bit of an idea there. Cool. Yeah. So I actually ended up moving out to the West coast. I moved to Reno, Nevada, um, for 2017. So I actually just tried to do the individual thing. Um, my goal was to qualify for regionals and I did. The second wave, I was like 22nd. So I got that after a couple girls went team, I got in. And um, then I was, you know, my goal for regionals that year was I just kept saying like, have fun, smile the whole time and not get last. Like that was my goal for regionals. Um, and that was also the year that Dave Castro programmed zero barbells for the uh, regional. It was all dumbbells and all like everything else. I'm like, okay, the one time I get into regionals, barbell is my best friend and I don't get a barbell, but I mean, it was fun. I actually, I finished 11th, I think at regionals. So like not awful. Um, and then I moved back to the East coast and that's when I moved to Boston. And my goal was to kind of switch the focus back to team again. And so in 2018 and 19, I went to the games on now it's Invictus Boston. We were the Reebok Invictus or Reebok back by, I forget exactly our full name for 2018. Um, but that was interesting because that's when it went down to four people um, still had to, you know, that, that was when they did no longer training at the affiliate. You had it, like, that's when the super teams started popping up. So you could just, you know, train with, or you could just go team with, a bunch of individual athletes. Um, we were lucky that all four of us were in pretty much in Boston. So we got a lot of good practice, like with the worm and that kind of thing. Um, we went on, we won the East regional in 2018 and then went to the games. And then in 2019 with all the sanctionals, um, we ended up, oof, it was a, it was a tough ride. We went up to Iceland or over to Iceland. Um, up, up, and, up, up and over. Yeah. Up and over. <laughs> um, and we got second. That was when you could kind of, I won't, you know, whatever, but they, you could throw an individual athlete in there who was not intending to go team. And there was one workout where you had to run up a mountain and that they had Sam Briggs on their team. So it was kind of so, like, okay, so they won. Cool. Uh, I have actually, I have actually run up that mountain back in 2013 visiting Iceland. I took me a lot longer than everyone else. It was like a bunch of games athletes and me. Uh, but, but yeah, that's a tough workout. 
Yeah, it's a little different. It's, it's, that was a hard one. Um, so we didn't do so hot on that one. But um, so we got second in Iceland. So we didn't get our qualifying spot there. And then we went two weeks later, we went to the Rogue Invitational. Um, and we got second there, beat Mayhem again. Um, and <laughs> they, they remember, they remember that one too. Well, oh, vividly, probably. Um, so we didn't get our qualifying spot there. And it was kind of like, okay, guys, we got one more chance. Let's try to figure out how to get all four of us to Paris to do the French throwdown. And we ended up getting our qualifying spot at the French throwdown. Um, and then had to go compete at the games about three and a half weeks later. So that was a wild season. That was, that was a little crazy. Um, and that kind of wore us out. Like my training partner at the time, he and I just, we fought really hard to get this team together and get to the games. And it was obviously just a long season. We had no time to calm down and have that kind of like dip to then peak again. And it was just really tough on us physically and mentally. And going into the 2020 season, we kind of he, I knew he was shifting his gears a little bit more towards individual. And I thought, Hey, let's, let's give the individual thing a go. That's kind of always been a dream of mine, get to the games as an individual. Um, and I went to Ireland. That was the first sanctional of 20, the end of 2019. Um, just to kind of see where I fell with all of these amazing female athletes. Uh, and I held my own. I was pretty, pretty fired up about going to Ireland and I, you know, I didn't have a real coach. I didn't really know. I mean, I knew what I was doing, but it was kind of like I was on my own doing it. And I, and I surprised myself. Um, but I think that boosted my confidence a little bit. Um, and then in early 2020, I went to London and that's where I got my, my invite to the games, finishing fifth at the strength and depth. So, um, that was, that was pretty amazing. And then and then COVID happened. <laughs> and then COVID happened and a lot uh, of stuff was reset. And uh, well, what was like in 2020, that's also when you found your, your current sport. Let's call it your yeah. current sport, Bob, yeah. Bob Sledding. Yeah. Bob okay. Slay, which is better? Which is better, uh, Bob Sledding or Bob Slay? I always say Bob Sledding, Bob Sled, but Bob Slay is like the official, like the whole world uses that term, I think. Well, we're not that fancy. So we'll yeah. just say, we'll just say Bob, <laughs> Bob Sled. So like, tell, walk us through that. You found that in 2020 for the first time, right? Which is a difficult, which is a weird time, by the way, to take up anything. <laughs> so like, take us, take us through that progression. What triggered that in your mind? Was it someone I've, uh, t- I've had Blaine McConnell on the podcast cool. before yeah, 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 and he has a very interesting story about finding that. Um, what was your, what was your journey? And at one point in, in 2020, were you like, you know what, maybe I'm going to be an ex crossfitter and a current bobsledder. Well, it's a very kind of an interesting story. So the current world champion bobsled pilot for Team USA, she, um, her name is Kaylee Humphreys. She actually, uh, well, her husband and then her, they messaged me on Instagram. And I mean, the only reason I knew anything about bobsled was because I had met Blaine at Invictus previously. And then I kind of watched his journey with it that but that was it uh i didn't even know what it would entail training for bobs like none of it absolutely just like cold outreach they slid into your dms kind of thing into my dms asking me have you ever thought about trying bobsled and i said 
And to be totally honest, it was like 1030 at night. I had had a glass of wine and I was looking at my DMs and I was like, I don't know what that would mean. And, and so then the conversation started and that was, that was probably in like early 2020. So that was, it was after my invite had been taken. So it was after the reshuffling of the invites to the games. So it's like during COVID, like COVID yeah, kind of hit, they've reshuffled everything. You're no longer yeah. invited to the games, which is no longer. I, but I still, I mean, I was still training. I was still like, okay, I'm still a games athlete. And in my head, I was like, maybe they'll shuffle it again. And I'll get an, like, who knew? I just knew nothing. So um, they had both, I chatted with, um, Kaylee a bunch and she lives in California and, um, it was a whole time in my life, even with COVID being as crazy as it was, I kind of knew that I was ready to leave Boston. Um, I was ready to kind of transition my life a little bit. My, I had, I found, I was working with a coach, Justin Kotler, um, who was also Carrie Pierce's coach. And he made the move from New York city to Las Vegas and took Carrie with him. And I thought, Hey, if I'm going to give this CrossFit thing, you know, a couple more years, might as well go train under my coach's eye next to Carrie Pierce. Like you can't beat that. So that was, that was actually the plan that I started that plan at the, probably the beginning of the summer. That was kind of like, okay, at the end of the summer, that's going to be when I, you know, move my life out West. Um, and so that, it was kind of like the bobsled conversation was always just in the back of my mind. It wasn't, it was like, okay, maybe I'll get out to Vegas. I'll drive the three hours to where Kaylee lives. I'll train with her. I'll push with her and just see if I even like, kind of like the training and that kind of thing. Um, and it was, so I was leaving Boston on a Sunday and it was Friday in August, the, you know, 36 hours before I was getting in my U-Haul truck to drive across the country. And Kaylee called me. And she said, do you have a, like a place out in Vegas yet? And, you know, as you look back, it's like, everything happens for a reason. I, I told her, I was like, oh, actually my lease fell through. Like it didn't actually, um, there was, it was a crazy lease, but that's a whole side conversation. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not signing this lease. And she's like, okay, well, I think they have a bed for you at the Olympic training center in like Placid, New York. Um, you know, with COVID all the question marks of, quarantines and that kind of thing were happening. So she's like, I, you know, you can go out to Vegas and then get to Lake Placid, but you might have to have a longer quarantine, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'm, I, you know, if, if you're in, like, I kind of suggest staying on the East coast and, and kind of waiting it out to see when you can get up to Lake Placid. And it was like that, that night was a Friday night. I remember calling my mom, like, <sighs> literally my mom was flying to Boston the next day to help me pack up my apartment. It was just like, I didn't know what to do. I just felt like, what is God or the universe or what, like, what is happening that I don't know. So I had a phone call with one of the coaches actually. And they said something like he's some kind of analogy of like, if you know, life is a surfboard and all these opportunities are going by you and you can decide to hop on one or decide to let it pass you by. And it's, there's no right or wrong answer to that. And for me, that was just like, I, I felt like CrossFit's not necessarily going anywhere. I'm getting older, but like, I can always do CrossFit and the chance to, you know, try out for an Olympic team, I don't think will continue to come around. So I just, 
instead of driving across the country, I drove my U-Haul truck down to Philadelphia, where I'm originally from. Uh, I got a storage unit, so I have a bunch of stuff in storage, staying at my mom's house, who watches my dog when I'm away for bobsled, and I just kind of dove all in. <laughs> so tell us about, I mean, the, the learning curve for bobsled. So obviously, you were recruited for a reason, right? You have to be a fast, explosive athlete for for bobsled or, or bobsleigh, if we're being fancy. But there's, I mean, there's, there's a learning curve. It's a sport. You have to learn it. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. You're moving very fast. And then at a certain point, there's this like, oh crap moment. I'm going down an ice tube in a steel tube really fast. So, you know, how long did it take you to learn enough to where you were getting on the track? Yeah. So when I, I got up to Lake Placid in September and I quarantined for a week and I got out and I had heard that we were going to get, be able to get on ice November, the beginning of November. I don't exactly remember, or maybe it was even like mid-October. I don't totally remember, but the dates kept changing. Everything, there's no set time ever with bobsled I'm learning. Um, so I just kind of like rolled with it. But what they have up in Lake Placid, um, or they had at the time was like an outdoor push ramp. So you're in your just regular track spikes, but it mimics kind of, it's definitely not the same as when you're on ice, but it mimics that the start ramp of a bobsled track. So I was able to get practice out there, but what I quickly learned is, you know, I was recruited definitely because of my size and my strength um, and, you know, my, my leaning towards shorter explosive type workouts. Um, what I have never learned in my entire life is actual like sprint mechanics, um, how to, how to run with soccer. It was always just run as fast as you can to that soccer ball. Like it was never, Oh, you got to like dorsiflex, like none of that. We never learned it. So I, I, it was, it's been a learning curve and it's continuing to be a learning curve for me now. I'm grateful now that I have kind of this time, this off, off season training that I, I'm working with a track and field coach. I'm working on like that kind of thing because the strength is already there. I just need to get faster. And so that's kind of cool. Um, it's so different from CrossFit in that it's just, it's so sports specific. So, you know, your, your body, is, is not used to it necessarily. I actually suffered from kind of like a pulled adductor because I'm, you're running with this, you know, you're running straight, but then you go what they call over the crest. And so you're sprinting as fast as you can downhill. And then you hop in the sled or in the, um, the like outdoor sled. And so it was just like my body, I know like my body can do things and can do amazing things, especially just going through being a CrossFit athlete. But it was so different and my body was definitely not used to so sports specific training. Um, so definitely a learning curve and definitely still a learning curve. <laughs> well, what is, so how long is this off season and when do you, I mean, what is the process for determining who's going to make the team and represent team USA? Yeah. So we, that is like, I hope I don't like say this incorrectly, but, um, you do have to remake the team every year. So there's team trial races and, um, everything was a little bit messed up with COVID. So, um, 
because we're going into Olympic year, every, um, every time you have a new Olympic track, they have to hold a test event. So you get to race and you get to go down the track that will then be in the Olympics. So that it was meant to be in March with COVID. They actually pushed it to this coming October. Now, October is usually when team USA holds their team trial races. So Team USA had their team trial races at the very end of our season back in March. So it was a little bit like it was just kind of trying to go with the flow type of thing. Um, On the women's side, which I'm actually not a lot of people know this, that the women's um, bobsled as a sport, they only have two man and mono bob, which is just the pilot in the sled. So um, significantly less opportunity than on the men's side who have the two man, but also have four man. Um, So it's a little bit different when it comes to trying to make the team and that kind of thing. If you're not a pilot, if you're not a driver, it's, you don't have a whole lot of say in what happens other than, you know, as a brakeman, which is my position, like you just go and you push as fast as you can. Um, then a pilot will want to race with you, that kind of thing. So, um, it was interesting. I didn't make the national team that went over to Europe. Um, but I was on team USA's kind of development squad, which was on what is called the North America's cup. So we did some races over the winter in both Lake Placid and Park City, Utah. Um, so it was a dream come true being able to put on like a USA speed suit and got to do the whole thing. And I, and I'm grateful for that opportunity because I got more reps on ice. I was able to practice more, um, work on things that I knew that I wasn't getting just kind of, you know, I can practice sprinting and that type of thing, but, um, getting the reps on ice was really what I needed. And I feel like I personally improved so much. Um, come the team trials, we only have four pilots. So four brakemen got a race. Um, I didn't get a race in the team trial races. Um, but as a brakeman, what I'm really gearing up for is at the end of July is, um, they hold what's called push championships. Um, and that'll be in Lake Placid on their new, in their new ice house, which is brand new to opening up. I think it opened up like yesterday or today. Um, it mimics the start ramp, but it's all indoor and it's ice. So you're pushing it as if you were about to go down the hill. Um, what's pretty cool about that is that just the reps to the repetitions, you get so many more reps. Whereas, you know, on a day of training, you might get two runs total. So two reps. <laughs> is, it, is, it um, time, is it timed? Like it's a competition where you're, you're, you're trying to. Yeah. So push champs will, will get times. We'll you know, kind of have push offs and every brakeman will, you know, it's pretty much for the pilots and the coaches to see who is the fastest, <laughs> the best, fastest pusher. So that's really what I'm gearing up for. Um, and then after that, it's doubles push chance, I think, which is in September or so. So that'll be like, depending on the outcome of the push chance, a pilot will ask Brakeman to come do the doubles push chance, which I will still be in that ice house. And then the season kind of ramps up because they got to get ready for the Beijing test event in October. <laughs> what is the thing that surprised you most or was maybe most, yeah, that surprised you most about the sport and actually like being in the sport. 
Yeah. So I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much goes into the sport of bobsled that isn't the running on ice and hopping in and going down the track. Like the, I always call it kind of like the blue collar side of bobsled because you, these sleds weigh upwards of, you know, they're like 400 pounds and we're moving them. We have to learn how to flip them. We have to learn how to move them on ice. We have to load them, put them on their scabbers, take them to the garage. Like we are doing all of that. And then we get to the garage and there are some, like, you better bring snacks. Like you are, you've got to get ready to be in there for hours. The pilots are good at what they do because they are so particular and um, just like, I guess particular is the only word I can think of. They are just very specific about what goes into the sled. And you're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of these runners that you put on the sled. Like God forbid, like I hold that runner, like it's a newborn baby. Like you do not (laughs) let that runner touch anything other than like your hands and all of that. So it's like the blue collar kind of like get dirty moving sleds, uh, sanding runners, you're spending hours sanding runners with your pilot, which is just all stuff that, you know, I didn't even really know, but as like tedious and maybe not fun. It can be, if you don't bring your snacks, like you, it's actually, I, I love it. You're bonding with your pilots, you're bonding with the other teammates. Um, and I mean, it sucks sometimes if you're just like, just after a long day of training, you just want to get home and eat dinner and go to sleep. It can be that kind of tedious um, task that you have to do, but I, I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> that's, that's the most st- strength athlete thing I've ever heard, by the way. It's like, well, the snacks, well, you got to, we got to talk about snacks here. Snacks are a very important part of this process. I get hangry and it's like so real. If I don't have a protein bar and other things with me, yeah, my patience goes down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what is the, what is your actual in-gym training? You talked a lot about your track training, working with a coach and working on sprint mechanics. What is your in-gym training like these days? The, you know, the barbell is your friend. I see you're using a barbell a lot. What kind of stuff are you prioritizing now? Yeah. So I'm my, I was lucky enough that kind of when I stopped working with Justin on the CrossFit, because that's just not what I need to focus on right now. Um, And moving into working with the track and field coach, he actually was willing to kind of give me some strength programming too, that, that pairs well with the programming he's given me for sprinting and pushing. So um, we focus a lot on just the explosive movements. So a lot of the Olympic lifts, um, but majority of them are power. Uh, I've I've squat cleaned and I've squat snatched, but um, just working on moving that bar quickly and explosively. And same thing with the back squats and the front squats and that type of thing. Usually pairing that with like a explosive weighted step up or med ball throws or other kinds of things to just continue to drill that explosiveness, box jumps, those kinds of things. Um, It's really fun. And what I was realizing and kind of reflecting on the other day was that Um, you know, there's a purpose for everything. Every coach kind of, you know, has a purpose with what they're doing. And he, you know, kicks my butt with my sprint training in the morning. And then I go home and I eat a snack and then I go to my lift in the afternoon. And I just, my energy systems are so taxed 
from that sprint session that it's just so different than when with CrossFit. I don't know. There's something about like going from a sprint session into a lift that, I mean, I have to focus so much more on my core and on like things like that. And it's crazy. Some of the things that I have to do, even just, you know, five by three hang snatch, I'm hitting like 40% because I'm just so taxed and, but I want to keep it explosive. So it's pretty cool to kind of see that, you know, instead of going off of actual percentages, which I think can kind of, it can, it can be good and bad. If like I'm going in and don't feel like I can hit that percentage, having kind of going off of how you feel and maybe more of an RP type of thing is really nice to, it's just been cool to reflect on that kind of thing. And he knows that I love my lifting. So he, he keeps that in the programming for sure. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to everyone. Sprinting is tough. And if you've never trained in sprinting, like there's a difference between just going out and running fast and truly sprinting and learning the sport of sprinting. It's a different beast. I, I also have like an anterior pelvic tilt. So he gets on me about keeping my rib cage down and kind of like getting that core activated. I, after like, first of all, the warmups, he puts me through take an hour and I am, my whoop has me at like a 12 strain, like in the warmup. <laughs> I haven't even sprinted yet. It's been, it's, it's very taxing. Like you said, <laughs> Well, Kelsey, I appreciate you joining us and giving some insight into your, I mean, you're still kind of very much in that learn, that very steep learning curve, or I should say like what crest you're in that, that crest. Yeah, I'm going over the crest right now. <laughs> yeah. You're going over the crest as far I love analogies. I make terrible. Yeah, oh, it's great. <laughs> um, um, where's the best place for folks to follow along with you, your training and, you know, as the season progresses, uh, competitions. Totally. So I am mostly just on Instagram. It's Kels Keel. Um, I'm pretty active on there. I have thought maybe I would start a vlog up again, but that's to be determined. So it's just Instagram for now. <laughs> it, it's you're you're a strength athlete. People are used to Instagram. It's cool. Yeah, hit that hit that follow. Or if you want to, apparently, if people want to recruit you for a new sport, just slide into the DMs. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed getting to yeah, chat with you. Of course, thank you.